and welcome to the Free Like Me podcast by FLM. This podcast aims to help people like you navigate the world of financial planning. We'll be delving into things that we and our clients care about, talking about hot topics, and inviting you to get to know our team a little bit better. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Free Like Me podcast from FLM Wealth Management. I'm your host, Ben Smith, and today we are going to be talking about tax in retirement. It's one of those things that I don't think people tend to think about much until they're actually approaching retirement. And it's a time in your life when actually getting your tax planning absolutely spot on can make a huge difference to your ongoing financial situation. And I think one of the key messages we will talk about today is that it also uh, doesn't just happen all at once. You need to plan for your tax in retirement well ahead of that day. Um, and joining me are two wonderful guests and the perfect people to speak about this subject. So uh, coming to uh, Trishna first. Trish, this is her second time on the podcast. I'm very well informed that she's still doing her crazy 5 a.m. Uh, work workouts even throughout the lockdown. <laughs> Trish, lovely to have you back. Great to be back, Ben. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, not doing so many 5am crazy starts. Taking a leaf out of everyone's book and just taking it a little bit easier in lockdown. <laughs> well, I think you deserve it. Our second guest is his first time on the podcast. He's our head of tax and has been for the last 18 years. He's called Rob Griffiths, uh, Robbie G to his close friends. His favourite music is 80s and 90s hip hop. Rob, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Ben. Delighted to be here. How has lockdown been treating you? Um, pretty good, all in all. Um, no commuting, which is a bonus. It means I can just uh, devote more of my time to uh, top-level tax work. Lovely. Home homeschooling, you enjoying that, Rob? Um, I don't think enjoy is the right word. <laughs> I mean, we're, <laughs> we're muddling through as best we can. Well, good, good, good on you. Good on you. Um, Right, so guys, a lot to get through today. Um, I'm going to come to you first, Trish. Yeah. So looking at tax in retirement, um, set the scene for me and tell me a little bit about why this is an important subject for listeners to consider. One of the main things is that when you retire, people assume that they're not going to pay tax anymore because they've done their work, they're no longer employed, and so everything's just there for them to enjoy. But um, depending on what income you're receiving and stuff, there may still be tax implications for you. For example, if you're receiving a pension, it's still going to be subject to tax. If you're getting the state pension, it's still liable to tax if you've met the thresholds, etc. Um, and I think people just forget that. And then also future planning is looking at whether there's going to be inheritance tax based on what your assets are towards later life. Yeah, I think Trish really just hits the nail on the head there, is that that is a very common misconception about tax in retirement obviously you often talk about pensions as being tax-free and they are a great tax-free way to build up your retirement income and there's some great tax advantages whilst making your pension contributions it is still just when you're taking that income in retirement still just taxed as uh, any other income prior to retirement and I think that's a really nerve-wracking time for clients when you when you're working you have income coming in and, and often if you're employed, that, that income's taxed for you. So 
Rob, how does it work for people that are going into retirement? So they, do they suddenly have to start doing complex tax returns? Um, no, no. And it shouldn't be seen as something so, as daunting as that. So, um, so with, with your, your standard personal pension, you'll be able to set, take 25% as a tax-free lump sum. The, assuming you're then just taking a regular income, that will have tax deducted at source by the pension provider, just in the same way that your your employer deducts your, your tax when, when you're working. So it's done at source. Um, it's important to note, as, as Trish alluded to there, that the state pension is taxable as well. But um, the tax isn't deducted at source from the state pension. And again, that's that's a sort of a little trap some people fall into um, is assuming that, it, that it's tax free because there's not tax deducted at source. But what will happen there is that your tax code would, will tend to be adjusted so that you're increasing the tax that you're having deducted at source from your other pension income or other sources of income so that it, it, it does balance out and that you should not then end up with a tax liability at the end of the year, assuming those adjustments are made. Okay, so if I'm hearing you right, the, the state pension, let's say it's about £9,000, it mm. uses um, a chunk of your what's called personal allowance. Mm. And then, Trish, coming to you, how, how does, does an individual then decide how much they should be taking out of their their personal pension and what's prudent to take out from a tax perspective? I think one of the key things is just work out what your lifestyle is like and what your expenditure is going to be for the year to work out how much you need to be able to live or sustain the same sort of lifestyle. Um, obviously, when you're retired, you're not going to be probably commuting as much, so you're not going to be spending much on travel or eating out, etc. So things will change, but it's just understanding, like, what income you need, and then working out the best way to draw that income. Mm. Following on from that, if you're able to build up a healthy retirement fund across um, two spouses, between the two of you, you could be taking um, an income of 50,000 a year each, so uh, 100,000 in total, and the the total tax that you would be paying would uh, only be 15,000. So you've got 85,000 there net of tax across the two of you. Which is, you know, that's about seven thousand a month. So that's a pretty decent income um, for most people in retirement. Um, if you were to compare that to, say, only having that pension, that retirement fund built up in one person's name, and therefore, and in order to take those levels of income being subject to tax at a higher rate, that same level of income, hundred thousand, would be suffering tax of twenty-seven thousand five hundred. So an increase of 12,500 purely from just having um, all the income in one person's name rather than spread across uh, to a married couple so little things like that really just sort of demonstrate the the difference between sort of having a, a sensible plan in place and not but absolutely and i think this is something i really want to unpack on this podcast is just around the fact that that doesn't happen on the day you retire that happens in the 30, 25 years before that, you need to plan, make sure you, you do fund each of your allowances if, if that's appropriate. So I guess, Trish, part of the this journey starts well before the retirement date. Yeah, because obviously you have your pension allowances. If someone's not working, they can still invest into a pension. So it's worth using that as much as you can to build up a pot for them because that pension is then going to grow by itself and you're not going to be taxed on that growth. Absolutely. And um, if, if we look at, you know, when you get to that date of retirement and you, you want to start drawing down the income, 
you talked about this tax-free cash, cash point, Rob, and I wonder whether, Trish, you could just touch on how the how clients might use that tax-free cash. Do they use it as a lump sum? I know that was very popular in the past, or, or do they draw down on it gradually? So there's two options, and it completely depends on your circumstances of what you want to do. So, for example, my dad retired this year, and we, d- we decided to draw the whole 25% tax-free straight away because he wanted that money to do other things with it and he had plans with that. Whereas other people might not have plans, which means they can spread it across however long they want. And the first 25% of every drawdown will be tax-free. So it gives you almost an additional allowance, doesn't it? We talked about that 12 and a half thousand pounds of income that you can draw each year tax-free. And, and Rob obviously gave that great example of being able to draw 50,000 pounds out. In actual fact, if you, if you, leave the tax-free cash, you can draw out more like £66,000 a year because the top 16000 of each withdrawal would be tax-free cash. So I guess there's pros and cons with that. I mean, Rob, with the inheritance tax point, what, what are the advantages of leaving it in, more in the pension, as it were? Well, let's, let's not forget that um, if you're leaving it in the pension, then you have, um, you have options there to, to ultimately avoid uh, inheritance tax on the on the funds that are kept within the pension so by drawing it out at a, at a slower rate um, just gives just gives you more scope for potentially just protecting that and passing it down to future generations and trish is that that's something that's changed isn't it over the years you know that, that's very different to the advice that people might have got five years ago so the way it works is anything in a pension pot sits outside your estate for inheritance tax purposes if the person whose pot it is dies before they turn 75, you can give that to your beneficiaries and it's completely tax-free. Um, I think previously it wasn't like that, but you can probably confirm that, right, Ben? Yeah, I mean, it, the, these legis- this piece of legislation came in in 2016 um, and it was a huge shift in mentality because previously pensions were taxed at 55% when they were inherited by the next generation. Um, and that's basically been cut to zero. So... The old advice was to draw down on your your other assets very quickly and then leave the pensions as a almost like the last asset that you would draw down on. So let's paint a scenario where someone maybe has other assets. You know, let's say they have some ISAs and maybe they have a buy-to-let property. How, how does that affect the, the conversation, Rob, in terms of, of tax in retirement? Well, if you've got assets to, to draw on, then that that's that's ideal that you can then, particularly if you're in a pension scheme where you're able to be flexible and vary your income. So having that flexibility to to only draw down as much as you need and then either just um, be crystallizing um, gains on, on assets as well, or indeed just sort of tapping into various other assets that you've managed to build up through your through your careful planning through your life. So I think an ideal scenario is just just having your potential sources of funds spread out across a, a decent number of, of different sources across two spouses and just having that flexibility to to draw down either through the disposal of assets or the drawing of income and being able to just do that in a tax efficient manner, which is, as you said before, that isn't going to happen by accident. You're not going to build up that sort of varied and diverse um, portfolio of um, income sources without putting that planning in place well in advance. I think it's absolutely massive. I think that point we always talk about with 
investment allocations. So you should diversify across shares and bonds or the US and the UK. It's less talked about when it comes to tax structures. And it's so important to diversify across tax structures as you go throughout your, your work in life, because it does give you all of those different options when you retire. So I'm wondering whether you could just give a, a simple example of, of maybe how a, a client might use an ISA and a pension to draw income in retirement. So let's say they, they wanted to draw, you know, £70,000 a year of income in retirement and they had a, a pension and an ISA. What, what are the options there? Yeah. So if, I think if, you, if you're drawing your income from your pension, say up to your tax-free personal allowance or the top of your, your basic rate tax band, and there, are, there is some requirement to, um, to increase your funds for one reason or another. And you, you really want to avoid either going into that next tax bracket and um, you know, being hammered for significantly more tax. If you then have your, your, ISA, your funds within the ISA and you know, potentially unit trusts, bonds, et cetera, et cetera, that you've built up over the years, if you want those additional funds, you can just take them out, out of whatever vehicle may be appropriate at the time and avoid your income going into the 40% tax band. Or, you know, if you're, if it's much higher, you know, potentially going into over 100,000 and losing your tax free purse allowance and all those and just being able to manage it and avoid going above whatever given threshold it is you want to try and avoid. Yeah, and I guess it's always that balance, isn't it, between the income tax, the, the income need and and ultimately the inheritance tax part of all of this. So uh, coming back to the tax side of, of things in terms of, of logistics and, and how it works in retirement, when might someone need to file a tax return, Trish? Generally, if you're earning over 100K or you've got untaxed income of more than £10,000, especially if you're retired and you're receiving the state pension and you've got other pension income, then you will need to submit a tax return just so you can reconcile it out to make sure you're paying the right amount of tax. Sometimes it might be that you're overfunding tax. It could be that there's a shortfall. So it's just, yeah, if you've got state pension and other income, you would need to submit a tax return. So give me an example, Rob. If we take someone who's maybe in their early 40s, they've accumulated some money in pensions, that they're, they're saving um, each month, but they don't really know what, what retirement at 60 might look like. What are some things that that individual could be doing ahead of, you know, well ahead of time to make sure that they've planned effectively? I think the first question is just sort of what you foresee as your required income or your or your preferred income in retirement. You know, you, you don't have a crystal ball, so you never know exactly what you need. But if you have a good idea of that, then that that is the the first step. And I think once you ask people that question and they they pull some figures out. Um, people are almost always surprised about how much they need to have put away to achieve that level of income. The next step is, well, how much do you need to put away and in what sort of vehicles do you need to put it into to try and achieve that? And without having that initial objective, then, it, then it's very difficult to um, put anything, any sort of cohesive planning in place. Once you've got that objective, and then perhaps you're, say, funding your unit unit trust, for example, and making sure that you crystallise your gains on a on an annual basis. Currently, you can make capital gains um, annually, tax free of twelve thousand three hundred. If you had two spouses doing that, then that's um, you know, over twenty four thousand of gains they're crystallising each year. If that happens over a twenty year period, then we're 
you're talking about some really attractive tax-free growth. Then on the other hand, they perhaps uh, you'd want them to be funding their their ISA as far as possible. You can put 20,000 into a, an ISA each year. And again, then having that different vehicle growing in a tax-free environment over that sort of 20, 30-year period to retirement. And then when you get there, you've got that really sort of decent, healthy spread of sources of funds in different vehicles and the ability to be flexible, improve your tax efficiency, and also hopefully hit that target of um, whatever it is you've identified as your as your objective for the income you need in retirement to just sit back to a degree and just enjoy your retirement. <laughs> That's the aim of the game. I feel like it's it's such a broad topic, isn't it? And, and on a podcast like this, there are so many variables for each individual that, that will affect the, the right and wrong advice for you. So you might have kids there, you might have grandkids, you might have a large family home, which creates an inheritance tax problem. You might have lots of different types of pensions to find benefit. So I think the, the one thing to caveat with all of this is that we're not going to, you know, so- solve all of the retirement tax problems on, on this podcast, but hopefully just provoke uh, some, uh, some thought within individuals' heads. Um, so Trish, can you give me some examples of um, maybe where you've seen clients plan really well for retirement or maybe where things haven't gone quite so well? Have you got any examples there? I think most clients who take advice usually have a good idea of what's happening and how their retirement's going to work. Other clients sometimes, like when they don't deal with it early on, like Rob said, and plan early, they come towards retirement and they realise they haven't got enough funds there to have like the comfortable life that they want. I guess, yeah, like like you said, it depends on each individual circumstances. Some clients want to have loads of money so they can travel and stuff because they've worked so hard over the years, etc. So they would have put probably planning into place to make sure they can do that, have their tax efficient investments there to draw on as well. Other clients don't think about it and they find that there's a shortfall in what income they've got left. Yeah, and you and they also then might just end up having all, all their eggs in one basket. Perhaps they've been overfunding their their pension, they've gone over the lifetime allowance, they haven't been able to apply for the various different protections in place to avoid that. And they're finding that when they crystallise their pension, you know, in some instances, they're being hit for a, at a tax rate of 55%, which potentially could have been avoided if they had um, started planning earlier. Yeah, and I think the lifetime allowance is, is a subject that we could delve into so much more detail, but it's mm. something that you need to be looking at. You need to work out what the lifetime allowance is, that, you know, there never used to be one before 2006. Um, it's come down quite aggressively. It's now moving back up with inflation. So it affects different people in different ways. And again, there are some really great planning opportunities around that. I wonder whether we just do a quick sort of quick fire quiz in terms of things that are and things that aren't taxable in retirement. I'm sure that will probably help our listeners. So Trish, um, we've sort of done this one, but state pension, taxable or not taxable? I feel like you're bullying me today, but it's taxable. (laughs) Um, Rob, rental property. Taxable. Very good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was an easy one Trish um, define benefit pension income taxable Rob unit trust or unwrapped investment so share portfolio that's not in an ISA um, you're talking about taxable on the dividends or um, the disposal of the, the units you tell me well I mean uh, if you're if you're disposing of an asset yeah potentially taxable if the gain um, exceeds the annual exemption of 
12,300. So that sounds like a complicated one. Someone's got a portfolio of investments that aren't in a pension or an ISA, probably needs a bit more work and a bit more advice. Is that is that what you'd say? Absolutely, definitely. And um, and I think the important thing is to bear in mind, as you sort of touched on a few minutes ago, is that there is no one size fits all solution. And everyone's situation is different. You know, the, the income sources through their life, assets, perhaps they've inherited their, their family structure, their, their lifestyle, everyone is very different. And that's why you need a plan that it's put in place that's very specific to you and your lifestyle and your family and your hopes and dreams, etc, etc. Yeah. And uh, Trish, to prove I'm not bullying you, an ISA? Not taxable. Very good. Right. Well, I'll, I'll back it up with... <laughs> I'll back it up with a more difficult one. So let's say someone decides to travel a lot in retirement and they decide to rent out their main residence or their home when they're abroad. How's that tax? All the rental income they receive from letting it out will be subject to income tax. If in the future they were to sell that property, you'll get time apportioned between an exempt period for when they occupied the property and then the period that was let would be subject to capital gains tax. Right. And I think that reminds me of another scenario where obviously people's retirement tends to be a bit more phased these days. So I'm wondering whether you ever see clients or individuals who, you know, have lots of different sources of retirement income, but then maybe still have some non-exec roles or or self-employment. Is that quite common now, Trish? Definitely. Like, I think people like to still keep busy, right? So an example is my dad. So he's retired, used to work for TFL, now left there, but he always did plumbing on the side. And so now he still can't sit still. He's still going to do odd jobs for plumbing just to keep him busy and active. But all of that income will be taxable and it will sit alongside or on top of your pension income. And then the total is what the tax is calculated on. Right. And that's a scenario where someone would need to file a tax return. Yeah, because it's self-employment income. So any any income you receive that's not taxed elsewhere, you would have to submit a tax return for. But I, I love the example you just gave of your dad. And, and it reminds me, you know, it never fails to amaze me the, the things that people do in retirement. And I, I had a client recently who um, he's a massive golfer and, and he's, he's done really well, had a wonderful career. And he actually... Um, fixes golf trolleys in his spare time in retirement he really enjoys it so I think there often is a bit of a blur now between actually retiring and we talk about this quite a lot on the podcast but that financial freedom that we're all aspiring to it's not necessarily just one set date and and you have the you know big goodbye at work and and never work again there is that that phasing out and I think Rob, you're you're probably say that, that that highlights or that that brings um, its own tax planning opportunities, right? Absolutely, I think you know as you as you mentioned there about taking non-exec roles and so on, and that's that's very common. Uh, my my client base is is getting older by the day, and I've you know got quite a lot of people who are in that exact scenario, and being able to have potential sources of income in the suitable wrappers and vehicles so that they are protected while you still have that income. I think that that is, that is very key. That that flexibility is, is, is absolutely vital, particularly when you're talking about a bit of a phased retirement, as, as you mentioned. Mm. And I'm wondering if you could talk, because we often talk about this analogy of turning the tap on and off when it comes to income from, from things like pensions. So, Give me an example, Rob, of a typical client and, and where that might be appropriate to, to change the amount of income they draw from the pension each year. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you may well have someone with a, a number of non-exec roles. They're um, 
potentially sort of you know income of sort of eighty thousand, a hundred thousand or so, and if they don't need that additional income, they make absolutely no sense to be then drawing income from their pension that's putting themselves into that sixty um, percent tax band that you that you go into when you start exceeding a hundred thousand, or indeed going up to the forty five percent tax band. So, if you've got that option to not take the income whilst you still have other income sources that are pushing you into the higher rates, then definitely you'd want to uh, turn the tap off for, for the time being and turn it back on again once, once those sources of income have decreased or perhaps you've you know, fully retired and you can then just take your pension income at the, the lower rates and use your allowances. Following on from that, I think the same applies when you first retire as well because if you do take the lump sum there's the potential to turn that tap off or reduce how much you draw and draw up to your personal allowance only from your pension so that you're not incurring tax because you've got a massive cash flow there to spend on. Absolutely. And that brings in another question, which I think is very common these days, is gifting. So so lots of my clients get to retirement and actually there's a relative that they might want to help out to get on the property ladder. So so Trish, how, how does a client approach that? Where, where do they take that money from? In, from an IHT perspective, any gifts you make, there's a seven-year window that starts from the date of gift. If you exceed or if you survive that date by seven years, then obviously no IHT payable. But another way to do it is you can make gifts out of your regular income as long as it doesn't jeopardise your normal standard of living. So you can draw from your pension and then use that extra cash that you've got to help or gift to um, family and friends. But I guess there they'd need to be, and this is probably where you help, is, is an IHT calculation to look at their assets and understand what, what potential exposure is. Is that something that you'd recommend? Definitely, because obviously you want to try and minimise tax in your lifetime, but also tax on death, right? So like when for my dad, I kept telling him to gift us all of his assets and survive the seven years, but he didn't do it. <laughs> I still try. <laughs> you got to try. Great. And... Um, in terms of wrapping this up, I think I think we've established that it's a very vast topic, and and you know I would reiterate that you need to take advice at this time in your life. It is a very complex um, point in time. So, what would your sort of closing remarks be, be Rob, in terms of how someone should approach this this stage of life? I think that it's just never too early. I think that that is really really key. Retirement can seem a long way off, and then like many things in life, suddenly it's just round the corner, and the people that sort of, you know, got that planning in place as early as possible, they'll be the ones approaching it, just feeling a lot more comfortable and self-assured about it, that their retirement is going to sort of take the shape that they want. And those that haven't started planning early enough, they're going to view it as, you know, pretty daunting. It's going to be quite confusing. There's going to be a lot of unanswered questions and potentially they're going to be paying a lot more tax than they should have. And, you know, just potentially just um, adding an additional stress to a time in their life when you want to be taking a bit of a step back and just enjoying life more without having the the financial worries hanging over you that, that could so easily have been avoided if you planned early enough. I completely second that. I think, like Rob said, it's never too early to plan. And if you have like a target in your head that this is what you want to achieve in terms of how much you want saved up and stuff, the sooner you start, the better. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges is getting started with the this sort of planning and and we as human beings struggle to think much beyond a sort of couple of years as a plan so I think having someone that you sit down with on a regular basis and 
paint forward a picture as to what what retirement might look like, even if that's not stopping work at 60 and, and never working again. It might be winding down when you're 50 and, and trying to spend a bit more time with your children and, and working two or three days a week if you have that luxury. So there's lots of sort of variables in there, but having a plan and building it into some sort of financial model with, with a financial planner can add so much in those sorts of conversations. So I think, again, with all these podcasts, um, there's probably bits that you can take from here and bits that, you you know, we probably prompted more questions than answers a lot of the time. Certainly thinking about these things early is, is really, really important. And tax plays a massive part in your retirement. So I just wanted to say a big thank you, um, Rob and Trish, for joining us today. Um, some really, really great insights in there. And we really hope to have you both on again soon. Thanks, Ben. It's been a pleasure to spend some time with you. <laughs> it's always a pleasure, Rob. And, and Trish, I really hope you didn't think I was bullying you. And um, I'll, I'll go away and think about what I've done. It's all right, Ben. I know you're a bully. <laughs> and on that note, we'll tie off. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, stay tuned for more podcasts and more content in the coming weeks. Thank you.